Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. This is Jen Taylor. Today I'm with Pamela Smith. Pam, how are you? I'm good, Jen. How are you? Good. We compared notes about where you live in Dallas. And yeah, I used to live close. I just love it. It's like we're chilling out, having coffee with each other. So mm-hmm. we're practically right. neighbors. Yeah, I know. We are practically <laughs> neighbors. So your website is Pamela Smith. And I, I literally almost cannot, it's not possible for me almost to botch that. <laughs> but your website's PamelaSmithLPC.com. That is correct. And it will be in the show notes, but tell me about what you do. I am a mental health, um, well, my my professional title is licensed professional counselor, and I have been practicing, uh, including training time, about four years. So I'm here in the state of Texas in the DFW area, and my practice is um, is primarily female and I also work with couples so is there something specific that people generally reach out to you for or just women in general um I work with a lot of sexual trauma the recovery of the sexual trauma um and women that are trying to figure out what's my next step Right. And my couples that come in, they just, they come in for, you know, a range of things. So. Okay. Awesome. So in Dallas and you haven't, we were, we were comparing age and we're both almost half a century old. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So this hasn't been the majority of your life. So we definitely need to go back and, and uh, learn all about you. So jump in and let's start talking about, you growing up and um, some of your struggles. Okay, um, I grew up in the Midwest uh, for a majority of my childhood. And um, during my teenage years, I was in the Bay Area. So it was quite the change. Um, growing up in the Midwest, I, I actually lived in Gary, Gary, Indiana. And it at that time, Gary was, it was thriving. It was, you know, it wasn't like it is now. Things were good. Schools were good. Life was good, right? And so um, during that time, yeah, even now, during that time, um, Gary was predominantly Black, right? But you, like I said, you had your, your professionals, business owners, doctors, you know, lawyers, just everybody there, you name it. And I'll never, ever forget that it was two weeks before my freshman year of high school. And my mom says that we're moving. So I was like, oh, my God, we can't move because I'm set to go to the school. So you don't know, know me, but I'm a planner. Right. I've always been a planner. And so I had it all mapped out. I knew where I was going to high school because that's where my family went to high school. My dad and his brothers there on a mural on the wall running track. Right. So 
why wouldn't I go to that high school? Um, I knew I was going to university. I was going to be an international attorney. I wasn't going to live in the States. I didn't, I was going to be different. I didn't want the family life. I just wanted a career. Oh, it was going to be awesome, right? Ask me, did any of that happen? Did any of that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Where are you at with that? (laughs) Yeah, no, none of that happened, right? So, like I said, two weeks before school starts, and I am devastated. So, we move out to the Bay Area. I am in a high school in Cupertino, California. And I look around and there was nobody that looked like me. So that was very difficult for me, the culture shock and everything. Um, I've, I was in the band uh, for middle school and was very, I did very well at, at what I did. I played the clarinet, won awards, all that sort of thing. So my mother thought that maybe if I got in the band in high school, that that would make it better, right? Nope. So I went from A's, B's to D's, F's, and then I just stopped going. Yeah, that's what she Was the culture shock mostly because you came from a predominantly black area? Culture shock. I think the culture shock for me was more of familial support or lack thereof versus the actual actual culture. Because I, I think I could make it, you know, looking back, I could have made it there because I did find, I think maybe out of a thousand students, there were maybe 11, I'm trying to remember the numbers, maybe 11 to 13 black kids there. Um, and I all had numbers that I, was, I told my mom, I was like, but they're not black, black. I don't understand, right? They they're not like me. They're they not that they're you know that I was or came from the ghetto or anything like that, but they they were they didn't sound like me. They didn't listen to the music I listened to. They didn't we didn't share the same interest. So it was envir- I think part of it was environmental and and what they were exposed to in Cupertino versus what I was exposed to in Gary. Right. So not being able to stay in Gary and finish and go to high school and and finish out my plan, just I I was thrown. I didn't know what to do. So I shut down completely. So we had a relative that lived out there in California, which is why we went. And um, they convinced my mother that I was on drugs and that I was doing this and I was doing that. I wasn't doing a thing. I just didn't want to talk. I felt like you're not going to hear me anyway. So why bother? Right. So, um, flunked out freshman grades got bad freshman year, but I did find a, a person that I thought was a friend of mine, you know, a friend. And we convinced my mom to let me transfer to a a different school where it was more diverse. So I go to school in Palo Alto, California at that point. Um, There was more diversity, but I just couldn't get my my footing. I just couldn't. 
And towards the end of the school year, um, a principal counselor, whoever it was, called my mom in and let her know that my grades had slipped so badly that even though I was, how did they put it? Even though that I was a sophomore, I would um, be classified as a freshman, credit wise. And that blew my mind. The overachiever type A, I've always made the good grades, all of that. So I was like, there's no need for me to finish then. I just won't even do it. And so, of course, well, if you don't go to school, you won't get a job. I said, I can always get a job and pay my bills. Well, what will you do? I said, I can be a prostitute. My mother almost fell out of the chair. I almost fell out of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy across the desk, he was like, oh, 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 well, uh, uh. I said, so you can't tell me that I can't get a job. It was real simple for me, A plus B, you know, C. And so, well, you, you need a, you, that's not the route that you need to take and blah, blah, blah. Well, you've already crushed my dreams because I, because he told me I would never, I wouldn't graduate with my class. He wouldn't offer any options, anything. Right. So I decided that that wasn't going to work for me. Convinced my mother to let me go my junior year to um, an alternative school where I could get half, work half a day and go to school half a day. Well, what I did not understand was what alternative schools were there for, right? And they were there for those that were like in juvenile detention, that sort of thing. So imagine I walk in and I'm like, oh, oh no, I don't belong here. Yeah. So it was great. My, my, my teen years, um, I will have to say my teen years, actually changed if this it, it sounds crazy but i believe that my teen years changed my entire genetic makeup right i was born this person but after all these events i just became someone else who did uh, you become uh very quiet oh you were extroverted i used to be Oh, you said type A and goal setting and extrovert, very different. So now you don't know where you fit in. At that point, right. Right. I'm just like, yep, why bother? So, of course, I find the worst area that I could find to find friends to hang out with. And, um, you know, school started in August, September. I didn't bother to go until like October, November. My mom didn't know if I was coming or going. Still, I was never doing anything illegal. I just didn't know where I fit in. I was lost. And um, on my 17th birthday, I decided I wanted to get my GED because I needed to have something. So in my county, when I called, in my county, you had to be 18 to get your GED. But the guy I was dating lived in a different county, so I called that county. They said, oh, no, you can come and get it at 17. I was like, Okay, so that's what I did. Asked his mom if I could use the address, whole nine yards. She agreed. Went, took my GED. The lady got my scores and she asked, why are you here? 
And I said, well, what do you mean? Why am I here? And because your scores, you've scored some of the highest scores I've ever seen. And if you look at this, what is it, the median or percentile or whatever, your scores are some of the highest in the country. I said, oh, okay, thank you. Grabbed my paper and that was it. I just needed my diploma. That's all I wanted to do. So now 17, what do I do? Where do I go? because I'm done with school now. Everybody else my age wasn't. Right, so found a job, started working, um, found the love of my life who didn't have uh, the best job, let's just say that. And that lifestyle scared me. So that I knew that that wasn't going to work regardless as to how much I cared for him, it wasn't gonna work. So eventually make my way back to Indiana. I was like, yes, I've made it back. I'm home. I can make some things happen, right? Wrong. So this is where it starts to get really, really um, ugly for me. Shortly after I got back, dated a guy, or actually we weren't even dating, if I, if I have to be truthful about it ran into someone that I knew from school. He was a little older than me. Um, he, you know, said, oh, let's get together, blah, blah, blah. Not a problem. So, you know, around that time, um, date rape wasn't really popular. But it became very popular for me. So, devastated. Didn't know what to do because this was somebody that I, I had known for years, right? So why would you do this to me? And the only thing that I can think of is that he had this preconceived notion that because I had been in California or been to California and we had a conversation about cars. I used to love cars. We had a conversation about a car. I think the only way that I could rationalize this was that he thought that I was experienced. I was out there. I was this person, right? I wasn't. So that was the begin for me, what I call the beginning of the end. So had you had sexual experience at that point? Were you, were you sexually active? I had had sexual um, intercourse at that point, but I wasn't actively sexually active. Right. And that was the furthest thing from my mind with him. It doesn't matter. I just ask because we're very close in age. We're two years apart in age. Mm -hmm. And I had the exact same experience. So, yeah. So I completely, but it was my first time. So you just, I feel you. Yeah. So the beginning of the end for you, did you, this is a question everybody asks. (laughs) Did you turn him in? Did you say anything? Did you? Nope. No, I did not turn him in, but I was scared beyond measure. I never remember my plan, right? Family wasn't in it. I didn't think, oh, what about STD? What about? No, my thing was, I cannot be pregnant. So I called a family member who is pretty much the same age as I am. I didn't know who else to call, I didn't know what else to do. And I had to tell somebody. Um, so we go, you know, get me checked out and everything and yay, nothing was wrong. So that was that. Um, at that point, I, it, it, I think it messed me up so much mentally because I felt 
alone anyway. I felt like, why tell someone they didn't care enough for me to stay here, so they're not going to care enough for me to, you know, to make sure I'm okay, that sort of thing. So I left out a part that is, I think, is very important because it's an important part of how and why I do what I do today. When I was about, I think I may have been 16, 16, 17, I decided that I was done, I was tired. So at that point, I believe I had my own room. I, I can't even remember the those types of details, but I decided that there, I found either I had some pills or Tylenol or something, and that was it, I was done. And um, took a, a handful and at, right as I did it, my best friend at the time called me and she said, what's wrong with you? You sound so funny. And I told her, I said, oh, I just took some pills, you know, that sort of thing. And she was like, what? Don't play. And, you know, so forth and so on. And it, it was like a movie from that point on. The next thing I know, the guy that I was dating just comes busted into my room. Don't know where he came from. Nick, then it jumps, and I'm at the hospital. They've given me the uh, charcoal to pump my stomach, make me throw up. The one thing I remember out of that hospital visit was my mother. She was so angry, and she was crying. She wasn't angry anger. It was angry fear. And she told me, no matter what, I was to never do this again. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's the way you get this done. And so I realized that she was afraid. But what she didn't realize was, so was I. Nobody ever asked me. Nobody ever asked me, what did I want? Nobody ever asked me, how did I feel? Nobody ever asked me, you know, those things. The, The one person that really, that I felt really cared um, was my grandfather. He had passed away while I was there. And I wasn't, not at the hospital, but in, living in California, and I wasn't able to get home um, for the funeral. So I figured he was the only one that cared. Why not just go with him? Yeah. What a terrible place to be. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're talking about 1984. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, yep. and yeah. <laughs> there, right. there was like there was no help really Mm-mm. any of that I mean the suicide attempt the rape you know not that that excuses parents for not really reaching out and mm-hmm. out and having conversations because you think that should be relatively second nature so when that didn't work out you didn't have a second attempt though no I've never done it again Nope, never, never, ever done it again. Even at my lowest point, never did it again. Never tried. So you're back in Indiana where you feel like that's where you're going to fit in and everybody cares. You did say something just a second ago Mm -hmm. about how when the rape happened, people in your family let you get taken and moved to California. Was that 
I mean, of course they did because your parents were moving there and that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Usually other family members don't go, well, if you're leaving, you can't take the kids, you know? Right, right. But when the kid comes crying and begging and, you know, can I stay, can I stay? And of course, as a parent now, I know that there were conversations that I didn't know about, right? So no, I couldn't go. I mean, I couldn't stay. I had to go. And um, it was just, it it was just ugly for me. It was. At that point, you felt really, really alone. Mm -hmm. They didn't. Nobody cared. They didn't care about anything. They knew how structured I was. They knew how important school was to me. They knew about the plan. Everybody knew about the plan. And so, you know, I just, I didn't understand how, if if they knew, and this was so important, and I, I didn't do anything to make them feel like, oh, she wouldn't thrive here. She wouldn't do this or do that, right? Why, 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 just why? And so I felt like, well, you don't care. So why should I? So you didn't reach out to anybody there and ask for help or tell them how you were struggling? Uh, once I got to California? Once you got to Indiana, back to Indiana at 17 Indiana. after the rape happened? Uh, after the rape happened, I did still have a, a cousin or two around. Um, and my cousin is actually the one that I called when it happened. And she, you know, came and, and we, if memory serves, because I, you know, trauma, you block things out, right? Went to uh, Planned Parenthood to make sure that I was okay. And um, thank God for Planned Parenthood. I hope nothing ever happens to that organization. Um, but after that, uh, that same cousin, she was off at school. She was, everybody was gone. They were doing what they we're supposed to do, right? So where am I again? Alone. Confused. Not knowing which way to go, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to do it. So I found a, um, a program at University of Iowa that it was almost like, I, I guess you would call maybe like a second chance or something program or whatever. Whereas you would go to the program throughout the summer, and if you did well, then they would admit you in the fall. Well, I got there. I got there on my own with, I don't know if you remember, like those big steamer trunks that they had back then. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. So I had a trunk and a bag, and I took the Greyhound to Iowa, and I was going to do it. Did the day that I got there was the pride parade I had never seen anything like it right and so I needed to cross the street but the parade was going like how am I supposed to get this trunk across the street right well so I was like what is that frogger where you're going through the (laughs) 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 steamer trunk with my trunk and I'm just making it on And so I get on campus or whatever, get checked in, everything is fine, but I'm older than everybody else. Because at this point, I think I'm 19. So I'm older than these other kids, right? Feeling, as usual, out of place, all alone, but I was dating someone. 
So he comes up, you know, he would come up on the weekends or whatever, and the kids were like, oh, my God, you had a boy in your room. And I'm like, I'm grown. I can have a, a boy in my room, you know. So that didn't work out for me. I didn't have the support that I needed financially or anything else. Ended up going back home. And to do what? Yeah, that was the question. So I decided that, you know what, you got to get your stuff together. You got to do something. So got a job with a local bank doing like the processing part of the back end and met my very best friend today. <laughs> She's still my friend and my kid's godmother. Met her and we, you know, hit it off or whatever. And I decided that, all right, I'm going to college. IU Northwest was right there in the city, so why not? I'm going to college. So I get the college app fee from my, actually from my uncle. He, I was, I saw him and he asked, where was I going? What was I doing? App fee was like 25 bucks or something. Reaches in his pocket. Here you go and you do this. And that was the start of my educational career. So I owe that to my uncle. Willie Smith Sr. <laughs> I want him to know, I doubt if he'll hear this, but I want him to know that he is responsible for this magnificent entrepreneur that, that is today. So go to IU in the parking lot, get dizzy, pass out. Guess what? You're pregnant. Sure enough. At 19. Sure enough. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're hoping. Yeah. So the guy, tell him, we're good. He's good with it. It wasn't a problem. Five and a half months. Son, stillborn. Oh, yeah. Pam, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's okay. That was rough. The dad was right there with me. He stuck it out. I have to give him his credit because regardless if he wanted to or not, he was right by my side. So you know how they say it only takes one time? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> okay. So saw him few months later, we never really fell out of touch, but we weren't together together. Saw him a few months later. It only takes one time. Pregnant again. What? Oh my God. Yes. I know. Oh. I know. I'm like a genius. So <laughs> at this point, are you still working at the bank and are you taking any classes? Nope. So no more work, no more classes? That is correct. Okay. So... Pregnant, high risk, bed rest from day one. It was awesome. Three months in, go to the doctor, sends me to have an ultrasound. She tells me to call her as soon as I'm done. So remember the pay phones? Yeah. <laughs> At a pay phone in the hospital. Do, 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 do. She says, okay, I'm... I got the results. I guess they had called her or whatever. And um, everything's good. The babies are fine. I said, okay. And my mom was with me. I said, mom. She said, I said, what? 
babies? There's twins. There you go. Oh my it's God. Those, you heard me. Babies are fine. Deborah L. McCullough, MD. This woman is like my idol, my shero, my everything. She actually delivered my sister, my youngest sister. So we've had history, right? She wasn't the doctor for my first pregnancy. That's when HMO had come out. So we all had this whole big insurance debacle. Why do this when I can do that? And so the doctor that I had, he wasn't qualified to be an OB, right? He was just an MD. He wouldn't refer me to her because he said in his, I'll never, ever forget his exact words were, why would I pay for somebody else to do the same thing that I can do? Well, dumbass, after third, fourth, and fifth month when you're not hearing a heartbeat, why wouldn't you? Right. right. So, so your mom's there. You said you just turned and talked to your mom. Mom's there. Did she come to visit? Did she come to live? Mom's there. She's living. Oh, all right. Is that And that's a good thing for you. Uh-huh. So we all made it back to Indiana. And um, so, yeah, so at this point, I'm about 1920-ish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so as I'm sliding down the wall, after I hear that I'm having, <laughs> all I hear is, Pam, Pam, clunk, 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 clunk. that was the phone. You know how it's hanging from the thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I come to, and I'm like, I'm having like two kids at once. Yeah. So still complete bed rest, did all that. Kids were due in April. They came in March, five and a half weeks early. So as if I do anything half-ass or boring, right? Go to the hospitals. Doctor says, you know, if we... Um, I'm going to stop, give you medicine to stop the contractions. If it starts again, I have to let you deliver. Okay. So 5 a.m. the next morning, what happens? Contractions. Oh, my God. I'm going to have a baby. Like, for real, I'm going to have two babies. So deliver one vaginally. Then there was no more movement. I said, you said I had two babies. And she said, you do. And her tail, now she's got a good poker face. Her tail is she gets a crease right here when she does this. And her forehead, so, yeah. So I knew something was wrong. And I and I kept saying, I said, what is it? What's the matter? And she was like, you don't worry about a thing. And she was just as calm. You don't worry about a thing. You just let me take care of all of this, okay? And they're wheeling me to the ER or whatever they do. Oh, and for the record, I had the first baby in the hallway in the bed. Yeah, I I, I just don't do things like everybody else, right? So get there and they do the emergency C-section, have one baby in ICU. NICU, yeah. Yeah, there were two separate parts of NICU. So my oldest, which uh, was, she was fine. Um, She was in like, I guess, regular Mm -hmm. or whatever, but my second, my youngest, she wasn't. So she was on all the tubes and things, and she lived short of 
uh, 12 hours short of a week. Oh. Mm-hmm. So they kept me in the hospital from that Monday to that Thursday. Um, she did every, the doctor did everything she could to keep me there, but you know, you had, they had to kick you out. So I go home, come back to the hospital. Now, I'm, when I tell you open, I'm open, right? So Friday, I'm at the hospital. I go home. They said they'll call if anything, you know, happens or, or, or if they need me or whatever. Go home and get some sleep. Walk in the door because we didn't have cell phones. Walk in the door and the phone's ringing. Answer the phone. It's the hospital. Come, come now. She's not going to make it. Just had two babies four or five days ago, and I'm running in Gary in March in the snow. It was awesome. Get there, and I'm running down the hallway to the to the um, to the NICU as best as I could because it felt it literally felt like I was losing all of my innards as I was running. Right. So got there that Friday. I did not leave until that. Sunday, I think it was whenever she passed away, that Sunday night. And um, family came and all that stuff. So ended up, you know, had to, so now I've buried two children. And I have, I'm not even old enough to drink. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Right. So um, oldest stayed in the hospital uh well into May. So I would go all hours of the day at night. I was there so much they thought I worked there. You know, so that was um it it that was a very dark time for me because I didn't understand what did I do to be punished this way, right? So You've taken two, you left one, they were identical, so I have a constant reminder. What what did I what did I do? It took twenty plus years for me to realize that I wasn't being punished. She didn't ruin my life, she actually saved my life. But it took a long time for me to understand that, right? And I had to apologize to her and let her know if I was ever anything less than what you needed for me to be, I'm sorry. I didn't know how to do it any other way, right? Um, I do have, I did have another daughter some uh, three and a half years later. I had another baby. And so I only have the two. Was the dad ever involved? Because he was great for the stillborn. Was he around for the twins? Yeah, it was too much for him. Was it? Mm-hmm. That's when and, he bowed out. Yeah, and understandably so. You know, he came, he would come to visit. He would come to see her, but he couldn't, he, he wasn't there. He, he wasn't engaging like he could have and should have. Um, so with that, that was hard. It was hard, but oddly enough, it wasn't. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, w- I think I was so numb that I was just like, no, well, fuck it. I got to do what I got to do, right? Right. So that's what I did. So three and a half years later, still in Indiana, mm-hmm. um, you have another baby. What's going on with school and work at this point or your family? No school. I worked. 
um, stayed off and on with my mother. We just, we couldn't get it together. My youngest sister, who I adored from the moment I knew that she was coming and always had her with me, um, we began to clash a lot. She was a teenager at that point, and she thought that she was going to be able to talk and act and do all these different things. And, and that's not the way that I handled things. So we clashed, right? So again, off and on, I'm in and out with my mom or whatever. So my youngest daughter was a week, thought she had men, meningitis. She developed a fever that came out of nowhere. So I, she was in the hospital for a few days. Get back to my mother's house, have an argument with this teenage girl and my mother. She pulls a knife on me. And I'm like, is this what we're doing? I didn't even know we lived like this, but okay, if this is what you want to do. My mother says, you have to go. Where in the hell am I supposed to go with a newborn and a three-year-old? Yeah, that was awesome. So make my way, found found a way to make it, as I always did. And um, some months, probably I'm thinking maybe six or so months passed. And we mend fences and come back there temporarily. I was working three jobs. I never got a chance to see my kids because I was always working trying to make it so I can get out of there and into my own. So finally um, do that. At this point, I was not engaged at that point, but I did end up getting married around, it was early nineties. So you want to talk about bad to worse, right? So the baby's dad, uh huh, my youngest okay. daughter's right. father. Okay, because, so you guys get married, uh huh. Because how dare I have two kids by two different men? It's still the early nineties, right? So the judgment is still high. But who's judging me more than me? That was where all the judgment was coming from. Met this guy and end up getting pregnant by him. Oddly enough, the day that I found out that I was pregnant with my youngest daughter. I had just the same cousin that helped me had talked to her and was moving to where she lived to get away from him. I kept telling her, I said, something is wrong. I need to go. I think I need to go to the doctor. So go to Planned Parenthood and guess what the lady says? Congratulations, you're pregnant. I'm like, fuck me. I can't win. (laughs) (laughs) So that was that. And Ended up marrying him to get out of there with the parents and that, or my parent and that. And it was horrible. It was horrible, horrible, horrible. On my wedding night, at the reception, as a matter of fact, um, he got so drunk that in front of everybody, he cussed me out he called me everything but a child of God told my brother-in-law at that time take me home he's like well what about him I don't give a shit about him so he takes me home he's in the car 
um, I get out and I'll go in the house. My brother-in-law brings him in. He wakes up. I cried the entire night and I'm trying to figure out how do I get out of this? How can I, I had heard of an annulment. I, I, I am and was an avid reader. So a lot of my um, experience or knowledge or whatever came from books. Right. So I had heard about an annulment before and I'm thinking to myself, how, how do I do this? How do I get this? I don't even know where to start, what to do. He wakes up the next morning. Good morning, Mrs. Such and such. <laughs> like you do realize what you did, right? No recollection of it. So he begged, he cried, he pleaded, just give me a chance to make this great for you. Just give me a chance. Just give me a chance. What did I do? Gave me I had, uh-huh. Where else did I have to go? I had nowhere else to go. So we go on our honeymoon to um, some up north in uh, Illinois. And while we're there, we uh, saw this, we were in at his relative's house and they were like, well, maybe you guys should move up here, get away from there and try something different. We talked to the landlord. She gave us an, an apartment. So we lived there for about five years. It was horrible. Horrible. Uh, sorry, uh, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive the whole time? Um, emotionally and verbally. No, he didn't put his hands on me. But what he would do, he would take the car, he would take my car and hide it over the weekend so I couldn't go anywhere. So, but then he would leave. So I got two kids. They need to eat. I have things that need to be done on the, on the weekends because I worked. And he was nowhere around. So really so. controlling. Mm-hmm. Very, very. And um, eventually, oh, I forgot the fun part. So one of the, I can't even remember who it was. One of the bride, one of the bridesmaids, one of my bridesmaids knew that he was cheating on me at the time with somebody else. So you got married or uh -huh. that five years? Oh, okay. Yeah, so, and it never stopped. So he was doing all this, all this time, right? With whoever, whatever. So I decided I'm not getting any attention. Somebody at work showed attention and I was like, well, hello there. Nice to meet you. So it was the end of the world when he found out that I was having an affair, but I was supposed to be okay with him having affairs, right? And so he came this close to putting his hands on me. And I just stood there. I was like, so what are we doing? And that infuriated him. He couldn't take it. He hated the fact that I challenged him every step of the way. During that time, I did try to go back to school. I would take classes, but he would make it pretty, pretty impossible for me. He wouldn't watch the girls. He wouldn't, you know, it was just always so very hard to do. The, the landlord was actually, she actually became a friend of mine and she told me how to find schools that took, um, that counted life experience as credit. 
And so I, I did that. But at this time we were moving to Texas. His job was moving him to Texas. And so I found a school like that here. I went on to get my bachelor's and my first master's. And, mm-hmm, and he hated it. He, during the time that I was going to school to get my bachelor's, I told him, I said, I just need until May of you know that year and we're done. He didn't believe me. I got to February and had the biggest meltdown ever. And my best friend at the time, she talked to me and she kind of, you know, she was like, you've made it this far. We've been helping because she had her and her husband were taking my kids to school. They were picking my kids up from school. They were helping as they could. Right. And he's doing whatever. And she said, you just got a couple more months. You can do it. You can do it. And so I did. I did it. Bachelors. And you stayed with him even after the affairs and all that stuff. Did you like Texas? Oh, I, I, I know I should. My fellow Texans, I hate Texas. Okay. And so <laughs> I never liked it here. No, I stayed because I was getting my degree. Right. Which and is an was, awesome reason to stay. That's great. Mm-hmm. But that was it because I knew that if I stopped going to school to live life, get the girl situated, you know, divorce him and all of that, that it was going to be even harder for me to go back. So I just struggled through it. And I, we had separate rooms. I wasn't sleeping with him. I know I wasn't doing any of that. And so he had issues with that, which just boggled my mind. You're sleeping with everybody else. Why do you want to sleep with me too? So, um, ended up leaving him and getting my own apartment. He tried everything he could. He came in the middle of the night, stole the car away so I couldn't get to work. So went and bought my own car. He, he was upset because everything that he said I couldn't do, I was able to do. He told his friend, well, she can't get a, um, an apartment. She doesn't have credit. Well, got an apartment. She can't get a car after he stole it. She can't get a car. She doesn't have credit. I have all the credit in my name. I went to the lot. The man showed me the most reliable car, and he gave it to me. So I was able to do it. He made my life a living hell. Did you, get your, you got your first master's, you said, before you left him? Mm-mm, after. Okay. So you got your bachelor's, and you got your car, and you finally left. Mm-hmm. How, how much time had passed by then? You said five years in Illinois, so I'm guessing five, nine years. Yeah, before from the signing of the marriage certificate to the signing of the divorce certificate, um, it was nine years. We were four days away from our tenth anniversary. Okay. Yep. So you have like a ten and a thirteen year old kind of right around there, eleven, fourteen, right about there. Mm. And then what did you do? And did he, you got the divorce. So obviously, even if he tried not to, you may get that done. Was he involved with the girls after that? Well, uh, no, yes and no. During we, the judge ordered us to mediation that day. Right. And I told the judge, I don't, I don't want a marriage. I don't want to be married to him. But he had convinced the judge, oh, we can work this out. He was very manipulative, right? 
And so we're sitting across from one another. And he told me at that point that he wanted nothing to do with my oldest daughter. And he wanted to make sure that I knew that. That was the only time he got a reaction out of me. I almost came across that table. And I told him, I said, you don't ever have to worry about that. So he put himself on child support, as he says, because he was so sure that, you know, he was going to take care of his daughter. and Nobody could ever say that he wouldn't. Well, guess what he didn't do? Pay child support. Right. He did for the first year because he wanted to show off. And then after that, no more. So, um, got a good job. It was 45-ish minutes away. Had to do what I had to do. There were days when the time changed, like during the winter, and it was darker. I had to drop my oldest daughter off at 6, no later than 6.30 in the morning so she could go to school. Her school didn't start until almost 9. But I had to be at work at, by 7 so I could leave by 3 to get to her by 3.30. It was crazy. But I did what I had to do, right? And we survived. So the only there were mornings that I just cried, cried, cried. I would cry all the way to work. I'd cry all the way home. I just cried all the time. And I just, I would pray and just, not for me, but for her to make sure, you know, because it's dark outside. She's a little something and she was out there. Luckily, there was one little boy that was always out there usually with her. But I mean, you got two little kids, you know what I mean? So it was difficult, but we made it through that. And I had a career in a different field because it paid the bills, did that. And once my youngest was, you know, up in age and ready to leave to go um, to college. I was like, you know what? It's time for me to do what I need to do for what I want to do. So I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, and decided that I needed a career that I could do on my own and well after retirement age, if I so chose, you know. So I went back to school, got my second master's in clinical mental health counseling, and I own my own business. I, um, my girls are self-sufficient. They have their own families now. I am a grandmother. Oh. hmm And so here we are. In your business, which is a great segue, so you went through all of that, and now you get to pour that into what you're doing, because you work a lot um, with diversity, Mm -hmm. who have experienced trauma physically, emotionally, psychologically, Mm -hmm. getting people out of survival mode, and to remember who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on your website, so you can jump in on this. Um, so because you, this was you, this, this was you, you are helping the people that went through what you've gone through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, in, in school, they don't give you the business side. They just give you all the clinical. Right. And so everything was, you know, find your niche, find your niche, find your niche. I had no clue. So I had to go through and weed out, you know, who I like, not who I like, but you know, what I was comfortable with working with. Um, And 
what I was capable of handling because I'm an, I'm now an introvert and I'm also an empath. So I take on everybody's stuff. Right. And to deal working with people that have like psychosis, that was too much for me working with actively suicidal clients. I can't do that anymore. It's too much for me. So I'm carving out my niche and I get it. And I'm like, Oh my God, my niche is just like what you said. It's me. Right. Cause you're talking about people that are introverted, highly sensitive people, mm-hmm. um, anxiety, conflict resolution, relationship challenge. Does this familiar? <laughs> what we were no, doing? no, not at all. No, no, just a little bit. <laughs> I, I always love when we take what we've gone through and turn around and help people. And sometimes it is our people, the people mm-hmm. that are, are just like us because we can relate to them so closely. I mean, often it is. Um, you help people integrate Christian faith in their therapy. You've done a lot of training in... Um, trauma stuff and mindfulness and mediation and I mean so you were the person though that said that you never wanted to have kids <laughs> I don't know if you remember that either but a <laughs> little bit a little bit a little bit yeah and you you lost two you buried two like you said which mm-hmm. any parent can definitely feel that and uh raised two mm-hmm so through all of this, what, what is the most helpful? I mean, I know what tips and tricks you used to get you through everything. I mean, you were on survival mode for a really long time. Mm, over 20 years, yes. And then you started to get the car and get the degree. You started to do things for you that you needed to do. Mm-hmm. And then you used all that to turn around so people can get out of it faster and more easily than you did, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. <laughs> so what would you have told your younger self through knowing everything that you went through and thinking about what your clients are going through? Mm-hmm. What was the thing that helped you the most? Or the person, I know you had your best friend who's still your best friend. Yeah, she is. Oh, look at that. That some people can't see, but I can see you. <laughs> and I that's the same look I get when I talk about my best friend. So <laughs> <laughs> that is I think besides my kids, she is like my biggest cheerleader. She just she like when I started my podcast and stuff, she would do like these mock interviews and I'm just like, what is wrong? Because she would say some of the weirdest. She is so weird, but I love her. And she would just say some of the, the weirdest stuff. So like last night we were practicing because I got a new piece of equipment and she decided that she was, she had a British accent. I'm like, seriously? So we're doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I'd do that if I thought I could do it well. If I thought I could get away with it, I'm as good. At, what was my thing? Oh, my, my thing is, hello, governor. That's as good as it gets. I don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make a full podcast. <laughs> so, doesn't. You had support from her and kind of off and on with your mom. Mm-hmm. What? What would you tell people? What do you, what do you tell people? What would you have done differently? What would I have done differently? Hmm. I think 
Because we didn't have the internet, we weren't so mobile like we are now. It was a completely different time. So kids, my kids wouldn't understand the the lack of uh, instant gratification, right? And so I guess it, I say that because I guess it, it depends on the age of the person that I'm speaking with. Um, but overall, I, I believe I would tell them, please know that you are not by yourself. You are not alone. You're not. And if you have something that is planned, stick with it. It doesn't matter what the stupid principal said, you know, that I wasn't going to graduate and this, that, and the other. What I didn't know was there were other ways. And if I had, if I could just get to the right person to show me or explain to me, I could have gone to summer school. I could have gone to night school. I didn't know that. And nobody told me. And it seems like, oh, well, that's just stupid. You should have known. Well, how would I? I don't think people understand how different the world was pre-internet. I mean, it's hard for us to remember when you said payphone, and I my first thought was, yeah, we used to say, here's a dime, call someone who cares. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're like, <laughs> nobody understands what it's like to get your first microwave. <laughs> <laughs> what an interact tape is, because we grew up in a different and we did a different time, but also things are moving so fast since the birth of the internet. Mm-hmm. In- the public so it, it is that is it is I know it's very difficult to go back and yeah find the resources right mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. are resources out there yeah Pam thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story what a wild ride that was <laughs> I really appreciate it thank you for having me on Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.